Hello and welcome back to the Jew Rogaine Experience. Uh, you know, I'm always excited when I'm doing an episode of this show with a, with a real Jew. Yes, as yes. Uh, <laughs> as Grammy Hall would have called them. Yeah, a real a real Jew. Yeah, this I don't know if you've noticed um, out there. I guess this is audio, but I I think you can probably understand from just my, from your voice from my cadence from your cadence from yeah. my cadence and my um inability to speak quickly because i'm pensive and almost so anxious even to be alive i think there are like you know i i say you're like a you're a zero percent chance to survive the holocaust yes you. yes you're like you're like there's no hiding there's no, well, there's no sneaking out for you. Right. There's no, I mean, I'm definitely not sneaking out. You're definitely not sneaking out. I think I could hide. I think I would be able to hide for a while. But I feel like you'd complain a lot uh, while hiding. Uh, <laughs> like you'd get caught. You, you'd like, like. I'd be talking about my. You'd be asking too many things of your. Uh... See, this is what people don't get right about me. <laughs> this, this, this is what people don't get right about me ever. Is I, you know, I. I don't complain so much. I'm not complaining about every little thing. You're trying but, to professionally complain. But yes, but when I but when I do complain, it is so stereotypical. Like I'm, you know, I'm not complaining. I'm complaining about the exact things you would think I would. I be give complaining myself. About. I give myself a twenty percent chance to escape, zero percent chance to hide because I complain. Right. I okay. get uncomfortable. Twenty percent chance to escape. Like you think you would be like, able to physically, you would not, jump. You would jump the barracks. Well, jump I'm out just, of the barracks. I'm just saying, like, if I got to the border, they wouldn't be positive I was a Jew. Oh come from on, from looking at me, not oh, come like on. you. Yeah, no. In fact, I'd probably go to the border with you. That's smart. To make myself look, you know, it's like when you when you hang out with uglier friends to look hotter yes, at bars. Yes, I would go to the border with you to look less Jewish. I'd be your little. Kanish Shield. Yeah, yeah you'd be my, shield, you'd be my you comparison know? Jew. Yeah, this and this is definitely, I mean, I've made a lot out of my looks, you know, and this. You've, you've, you've definitely worked it. Yeah. And um, I, I wish I were tired of it, but I'm not. You know, it's just, it is very obvious what I am and who I am. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fucking proud. You know, when I first saw and you. And I'm so proud of it. When I first saw you, it was right after the pandemic. Yes, uh, that would like, have been like when I would... at, at fourth wall. Were you doing mics and things before the pandemic? No, I never did open mics for stand up before the pandemic. I was never doing were you, stand up at were all you, before the Were pandemic. you working at Curb prior to the pandemic? I was, yeah. Okay. That was before. That and was what, before. what got you into stand up? So. Well, I was going to say, when I first saw you, I, I was like, fucking this guy. <laughs> fucking one of these. Yeah, I felt the same about you. I felt like. And a, I didn't even know what stand up comedy was. I felt like a Nazi. <laughs> I like looked at you and I was like, this is how Hitler felt. Yes, this is the reason. This, <laughs> this, the looks of this guy are the reason why people think the way they do about Jews. No, I didn't even. Uh, yeah, I was worried you'd give us a bad name. That was yes, definitely. Everyone is that worried was about definitely that. on my mind. Yes. When I go on, when I'm on airplanes and and there's like orthodox there's like hasids on the airplane i'm like they are not helping the cause no, no they are not helping the cause because like i see them frequently like like i remember i was on this one flight and the plane landed and this orthodox family like before like with, while they were still like stacy with your seatbelts on just ran to the front of the plane with all their stuff to be the first people off incredible and I was like i was like you are not giving us incredible a good name they just They'll do whatever it takes, whatever it to takes, to get to cut a corner. 
<laughs> so I saw you and I was like, oh, God. Yeah. You know what? You know what's weird, though, is I don't think that many other groups and you, of people. And you also walked up very confident. I didn't like that. I was, oh. like, I was like, I've never seen you before. Oh. You're already acting confident on the mic. Oh. I was like, I was like, get out of here. Yeah, well, that. Get that, out of here with this, with this, with this fake confidence. Fake, yeah. I, was, <laughs> <laughs> I can, like, like, I, I always say, like, one of the. Thing, when you when you've done stand up long enough, it's like you can watch someone walk on stage and tell instantly if they're confident, terrified, or fake confident. Right. And I think you're now confident, but I yeah. think you started you you faked it till you made it. I started terrified. Yeah. I started absolutely but terrified. You acted. You I, act, well, well I, everyone I, starts terrified. That's because I was. Were, that's probably because like, I was pump, pump, puffing your chest. Yeah, it's probably because I was like yelling. I thought that just yelling would be the best way to get laughs. And honestly, I think if you're if you're new to stand up, just yell. And that really does, you know, you can manufacture you'll scare people into laughing. You'll manufacture at least a laugh per five minutes if you yell the whole time. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean like scream. I just mean talk loud, talk loud. Honestly, I didn't use a stand I didn't, towards the front of the stage. Yes. And I didn't even use a mic for the first like month, month and a half of doing stand up. Like when I started hitting the mics, I wouldn't touch it. But your stand up ascension has been fast. Oh, Yeah. Um, I, you were a quick riser. A I quick, mean, there's a lot of, so like if you started yeah. right after the pandemic, then you've only been doing it for two years now. Doing standup for two years, but yeah. I've, been, yeah, I've been doing comedy for a long time. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I have, I have like a similar type story when people ask yeah. me, how long have you been doing this? I'm like, well, you know, I was a professional magician for five years right? and I made a web series and I had a popular podcast. This and is that, not, this is not that popular podcast right. I oh. used to have. Um, <laughs> so, so a magician with a web series. And I made series. a documentary about a standup comedian where I followed him around for like two yes. years. Yes. So. I felt like I did so many stand-up adjacent things that like the actual moment I started stand-up, I was further than someone who just watched it on TV and decided I'm going to try this. Right. Okay. See, what you did was you did these stand-up adjacent things like being a magician, a web series, a podcast, a documentary, all these things that also are completely without a positive future. These things that don't end up positively, well, for I, I, and you might, and you, and you might have done well, and you might have done. Sorry, and you, and you might have done it well. No, no, I, I've, I've adjusted your level. Um, and you, you know, you would have probably, you know, I, I don't think I could ever find you in a place where you're not confident with how you've lived your life. But a different man with all of the things you've got going. I think would be not as confident as you are. And I I think that's a point of pride. But, but I think in part because I've always excelled in those things. Like when oh. I was when I was a magician in New York City for five years, it was pure happenstance. I only became a magician. Well, I, I did like magic as a kid and stuff. And my dad and my grandfather did a lot of magic. But I had lost a job. It was during the financial crisis, I walked past a costume and magic shop that had a magician wanted signed in the window, walked in, said, I'm a magician. They went, great, you're hired. Didn't even ask to see a trick. Wow. Uh, I started selling the tricks. They had a stage in there. And I was like, hey, why don't we start doing a 
free Sunday magic show uh, to like sell the tricks. And I started doing the show and then that kind of became popular because, you know, it was financial crisis. People were looking for free things to do. Okay. This agent found me there and said, thought I was hilarious because I would get I would I was young. So I'd be in New York City. So I'd be partying till like 4 a.m. the night before the free like noon magic show every day. So I'd be doing it hungover and it like became almost like a character. And uh this woman saw me. She thought I was great. Hired me, like, like became my agent. Started getting me jobs, like doing shows for like Three Six Mafia, like Kanye. I did magic for doing Steve magic. Steve Buscemi, just doing magic for the for, Yankees, but like um, for, just like for them in their little bullpen or house, like in private. Uh, it's usually private like events. it was like private events. Okay, and it wasn't like me on stage, like hello, New York Yankees. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was like I was going around the room, but right, but. I knew so many way better magicians than me that their careers were fledgling, and I was uh, I was I made some of the most money I made in my entire life being a magician. Part of the reason I moved to Los Angeles was to stop being a magician because you I felt trapped in it. Almost. You needed to do it. You it was in your blood at that point. You, it, you have to cut yourself off from being a magician. Well, I was like, it was like I'm making too much money. I'm too kind of well known in this here. I keep getting hit up, and I can't like turn down these jobs. Meanwhile, I'm like, this isn't what I want to be. I wanted to work in film, and I wanted to um, uh, wow do comedy and things, wow. which I was doing you comedy getting, when I was doing the magic. But. You were getting so many jobs that you were turning them down, and you said, you know what? I'm going to leave my last. I'm going to leave New York to become a, a comedian or filmmaker. My first two years in Los Angeles after leaving New York, I was uh, doing very poorly financially here. So both Halloween weekends, I went to New York, made 10 grand and came back. Wow. Holy shit. And yeah. what was your agent like? She was a clown. An act, like a, she was an actual, like a, like she a was, circus she was, clown. Yeah, well, well, she did like clowning uh, at like parties and stuff. Okay. I know you you do clowning. Yeah, I I do um, clowning, but I I don't think that would be the but same. But she was like she had like makeup. Yep, uh, and she might have been doing something. And like I think like she, when she first saw me and asked to be my agent, she was wearing clown makeup, which kind of freaked me out. Wow. But she had such a little enterprise going in the in the scene, and uh, so she was part time clown, part time agent. At Whoa. her agency, and yeah, would just get me gigs. And like, I'd hit her up like when I was living in LA. She didn't have any LA connects, but I'd be like, "Hey, I'm gonna come back to New York for a couple of days. Can you get me some jobs?" And she would just hook me up. Wow. Okay, that's pretty insane to be so. So that's a John real, Stewart came to one of my a, magic shows. That's a real point of desperation too. You go in for a magician's job without the experience. They hire you on the spot, and then you sign with an agent who is an actual like birthday clown. Yes. That is unbelievably insane. And the fact that it worked out, because if you get into business with a clown, you're not expecting any money. Well, That's the way I kind of saw it was, you know, she wasn't asking me to like pay her to be my agent. No, no, they were for you. Yeah, she was just or, like, hey, I can get you gigs. Uh if you know, if and you she was want, right. and I was like, great. And then she just started, and then like, and she was just, gigs she, ended up being amazing. So she was just a clown who was also she had something put together in her personal life. So totally. she probably wasn't that great of a clown. You know, you just assume that. I guess it, it is funny. Um, people do say to me, uh, like, someone was introducing me to a comedian, 
And, uh, and you know, obviously they're saying this to my face, so they're not going to, like, say the opposite of this. But uh, they were like, hey, Josh produces, like, some of the best shows in L.A., and he's actually funny, which is, like, a weird combo. Right, right. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't have been like, Josh produces some of the best shows in L.A., mostly because he's terrible and can't get booked <laughs> anywhere, <laughs> which is actually probably more frequently the case of why someone's producing a ton of shows. Oh, right, yeah. To get more stage time, yeah, I don't know that that um, which was also my motive, but uh, yeah, whatever. I mean, you just you got you got to do that. I mean, I, I, no no problem, no problem. Someone want to make a show? Obviously, if you have a show out there, you know, book, book me. I'll, I'll I'll do well. He did well. You're um, you're the second man I've ever kissed. Oh, that's that's we true. Kissed, we kissed, we kissed on, on the list. Uh, he, I had him on Undiscovered Genius, and he pressured me on it. He, he kind of raped me into kissing Whoa. him. On, it was a lot of pressure. Oh my gosh! You think I wanted to kiss you? I don't know. You came back for it. I yeah, didn't. I don't. The R word. <laughs> the R word. I mean, you're using the R word for this. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't go close to that. Yeah. No. 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 I, it was my choice. It was yes, my choice. Yes. But I did it for the content. You are yourself. I did it because of the peer pressure in the room. Like I don't want to be the guy who didn't. Do yeah. It. But but you know what? But you, but you did come on stage at first when I was introducing you and go to kiss me, which I backed away yes, from. Yes, yes. That had, was the rapey moment. But you didn't actually. It was attempted rape. Right. It was, it was sort an of actual. Rape. And on, for you, I think it was sort of like a gay panic with the. Straight, I had a gay with, panic. I had a gay like panic. A, but you aren't a, the first guy I ever kissed. Right. Okay. And you're not the first I have. But I, the first time I kissed a guy was when I was making a web series about a character with gay panic. Oh wow. So so a, so okay. So this is. And people say, write what you know. So I'm assuming this uh, this guy is you. Uh, um, yeah, my char- the character was named Josh in <laughs> the web series. Good. I won't play anyone other than a guy named Eli. But he does end up being gay, the character. Smart. But I'm I'm not. Although it was a good kiss. Yeah, it doesn't, you know, doesn't face. I was disappointed. You were just, dis- we think we were both disappointed that someone walked right in front of the camera yes. on the video during yes. the moment that the kiss happened. Right. Yeah, because I I think I remember opening that show, and all I said I just was sort of ogling the audience, ogling you after doing it, and just said said gay, and it you know it was a it's a good good opening. Did it did it get a laugh? But yeah, I got a big laugh, and I said not even in the bad way, like homosexual. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not talking about like <laughs> the, the gay that you know probably that some like of the, high schoolers. Yeah, use. I'm not using bad gay. Yeah, I'm just homosexual. Like if you if you. If you think a man kissing a man is gay, and honestly, I don't know. You know, I don't know for sure that that's gay, but I think it's it was funny to say it that. It was funny. In, we did it for the, the sake room. of we did it for the sake in of the comedy. Yeah. I had to do it. I was yeah. I was really put into a uh, a lose lose situation. Either yes, I do put people into those. <laughs> <laughs> I had no choice, but it was a good kiss, and it was more. Uh, I was more. I was more into it than I was the first. Wow. The first kiss. Well, oh, the first one was on, part of the gay set. panic web series. Yeah, right. So both for show business, both of your yeah. male kisses have been for. Yeah, show I mean, business. if you're gonna make it in this town, you got to kiss a couple dudes. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. If there's anything I've learned uh, over the past few years is you're not getting to the top of this business without kissing a couple of dudes. Yeah, and I wish I knew that to be true. You know, I keep hearing stuff about giving a blow. Well, you're job. kissing me. You're kissing the wrong dude. Yeah. You're blowing the wrong dudes, Eli. Yeah. That's the problem. But no you, one's. You just think it's blowjobs in general that'll get you to the top, and he's just around blowing at anyone who asks. Right. Well, like, I, I heard this is how I was gonna make it. Well. Okay, see, I, I haven't been asked by anyone, and I think that might be a big problem. Like, if I'm not even in the spaces to be asked by people, how do I know who even could 
get me a job if I gave them one. I don't know if gay men are, are by and large attracted to Jews. <laughs> well, you can, you can, um, I'm sure there are plenty of gay Jews. Yeah. And I'm um, sure there are plenty that are attracted to, you know. Yeah. But like, you know, I think it's more of a, it's not just gay men who aren't attracted to Jews, you know, it, well, it's it's interesting because it's like, look, obviously there's exceptions to everything I'm about to say. Lots of exceptions to everything I'm about to say. Ah. But I feel that like men are generally phys- more physically shallow than women who are generally more economically shallow than men. Oh, that's funny. Like, you know, straight men aren't really that worried about... Like, like you could have like a hot woman who's not like a hot woman who has no money versus a super rich woman who's not good looking, and eight out of ten men are gonna go for the hot one with no money. Right. Look, and I think, I think in having this conversation that you could even be barking up the wrong tree to have it because I have no idea what men want, what women want. I don't see gender. Yeah, I do not see this. Yeah, I see men who are who are big honkers, you know, big hunks. Yeah, and and you do you know, do you like a hunky stare. guy? Do you are stare? You, do you feel attracted to a hunky dude? No, no, I don't really feel attracted to men. You don't feel attracted. See, I, I I've had this debate with myself. Um, like I acknowledge that like a hunky like Chris Hemsworth is more attractive than Jonah Hill. Like, I acknowledge that. Yes, yes. But I am no more attracted to Chris Hemsworth than I am Jonah Hill. Wow. Neither nor nor no less attracted to Jonah Hill than I am Chris Hemsworth. Wow. I because guess, I'm yeah. not attracted to men. Right. I guess when it comes to attraction, it just really matters what they're able to do in, in bed. Yeah, but, I guess. You know, you could... Well, I, I've, big... I've, I've often thought about this. Like, if I was going to... I've had lesbians try men and use me as the person they tried. Huge flex. But but I feel... But yeah, it seems like a flex, but I think the actual reason is they're not really attracted to me any more or less so than you... they're attracted to, like, a hunky dude... And they're just looking at me and they go, this guy seems safe. This guy seems like he won't hurt me. Yeah, it's a this utilitarian seems, yeah, way this guy, of- This guy, in fact, of, he looks a little lesbian-y Yeah, so, it, so it's really just function, not form for them. They yes. want to have- But then, you know, can't you just do that with a dildo? So there has to be but some- But they're, they're, like, they're like thinking maybe I like, I enjoy hanging out with Josh. Right. So let me give him right. a try. Okay. Um, but, and I've thought about this, like if I was going to, if I was going to try men, if I was going to like- try being gay i'd probably go for like a shorter pudgier dude someone than like more, than like a buff dude someone more someone like you yeah I've, more I've, like, I've always said in like the gay man pretending to, the straight man pretending to be gay and having sex with men to prove it community i'm i'm really hot right I'm like an eight. <laughs> okay I'm like an eight wow that's interesting <laughs> yeah okay look i yeah i i don't know i don't know if you're an eight I d I don't know. I'm taking your word for it. You're well, making saying, convincing saying, you're, 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 you're convincing you're, me, yes, but you're but I have no idea I'm that saying, you're right. I'm saying to you, Eli, if you're gonna have sex with either if you're if you it's like Eli, you get to be the top. You're the top. You're on top. I'm top oh, I'm topping. You're topping, you're topping. You don't have to bottom or anything. Um, would you rather have you have to have sex with a dude? Are you gonna choose like a buff dude, or would you rather would you rather have sex with a buff dude or like a short pudgy guy? Okay, so so that is that is a much more specific question that I 
I think those two types tend to not have something in common, which is cleanliness. So short and you say pudgy, pudgy to me seems like maybe they're leaving a few behind on the butthole after. Oh, a you're, wipe. you're worried about you're worried about uh, the poop. Truly, just worried about the the butthole. The 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 yeah. the health, the internal yeah. digestive. Yeah. Health. Well, they're not Jewish. They don't have to be. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a Jewish guy. Okay. Yeah, but they've both had enemas. Right before him. Okay. You're okay. Getting, you know, you're very, you're a oh, very neurotic person. Okay, so I see. So you demand that they have an enema before okay, you. Okay, and they've agreed. Yes, they've agreed to the enema. Wow. See, in this situation, buff, pudgy, I, nothing is sparked. Nothing, truly nothing is sparked But there's sparked no for preference. Me. No, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I have no preference. Yeah, I'm not saying anything sparked. I'm just saying you got to do it. What are you choosing? Oh, oh. Door, what, you, you like, like. E, the like, knock gonna, is on my door. The it's knock the, is on the your Nazis door. The Nazis are here. The Nazis, the only way you're getting out of Germany right now is having sex with this ideal German soldier or, uh. <laughs> this uh well okay I, you know, I am i am sort of an underdog so i probably would choose the person stronger than me you know because in case just in case you i feel did, dominant just in case i did well and they thought you know what jews are not so bad oh interesting. you know and that's, that's that's more having to do with the the nazi, the nazi scenario yeah. yeah but i assume so you said they're not jewish so i do i make a generalization about the people who are not jewish and think there is a high probability of them being anti-semitic just in statistically and across the globe. Oh, I mean, I know a lot of Jews that are anti-Semitic. Right, right, of course. I, in fact, one of my biggest pet peeves in comedy is when Jews make jokes based in anti-Semitism about themselves. Right, so but like, hey, I and I didn't pay the amount of money I should have paid because I'm Jewish. I am a bad landlord kind of thing. Yeah, well, just like, like playing into... like. If it's funny, it's funny, but I just rarely find it funny. So if you can if you can get me, if you can surprise me or make a joke that I feel has more depth to it. But I think Bill Burr said something really interesting when talking about like um, how he approaches all of his humor. Is he goes, I look at it and I go, is what I'm saying wrong? And he goes, and if what I'm saying, if if I'm if I'm if what I'm saying is not communicated in an acknowledgement that at least the thing is wrong then it's not a good joke. And I think that's sort of true. It's like it's like we laugh at things because there's truth. Right. And then there are problematic people who laugh at things because it's fucked up and racist. But I think you can make a joke that's fucked up and racist if the acknowledgement is that what you're saying is wrong and racist and not the truth. So, okay, so what if I'm like, um, what if I am like, okay, so I... I acknowledge that this is bad. Mm -hmm. Okay, I start off with a with a with a bad acknowledgement. You know, like no, like, yeah, like I don't a, think like you a, can. I like don't think land it has to be communicated within the humor. Within the humor, okay, yeah. it's not like a, it's not a, you know, like I do a this, joke. This land belongs to the Tongva people. This isn't a, a land acknowledgement before. Yeah, well, the like, jokes. I'll give you like an example of one of mine where I'm saying something wrong, but there's sort of like an inherent wink in the eye uh -huh. uh, where I'm talking about like the Me Too movement. I go, ladies, you know, I just got to hand it to you through hard work and determination, you are winning. So I just think you should smile more, you know? You're one mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. it's like it's like obviously I'm acknowledging that that's a fucked up thing to say to them, that that is like the antithesis of the thing I was saying before and that that's like a trope. Should smile more and I'm relating smiling to winning, not like you're prettier when you smile, 
but uh, it's the same. But it is the it is the thing people say in stereotype. Yeah, yeah, smile yeah. Smile more. Saying smile, it, smile saying more. it ironically. Give me, give me a smile, toots. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And toots means foot or toes. <laughs> I think it's it's toes. You know that a to- mm-hmm. tootsie, just a little yeah. toe. Yeah, yeah. Do you like tootsie the movie? Uh, you know what? Can I be honest with you? Haven't seen it. You haven't seen it. Yeah. I wonder if we can make tootsie today. Yeah, there's some way someone could do it, and it would be bad. You know, it's a crazy movie. You ever see, uh, I think it's called Harvard Man? No, never seen it. It's like about a it's about a white guy that um, pretends to be black to get into Harvard on uh, 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 through, what's it called? Affirmative action. Affirmative action. It's, uh, it used to be on Comedy Central all the time when I was wow. a kid. Do you know who stars in that? I don't remember. Wow. <laughs> That's that... a tough one to over. That guy like can't be on Twitter sharing liberal opinions because yeah. they're just going to plaster his face all over that. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah, I mean, I have a few friends. Well, I don't know. We don't need to have I don't need to be having a blackface conversation on this podcast. You have you know, yeah, what what you have a few friends that have done blackface? No, not that have done it, but who are, think who have, who might say that it is like in you know the the origins of blackface and vaudeville were in appreciation of of black people <laughs> because they couldn't dance. Uh, I think we found the clip for this week's yeah, episode. Yeah, uh, and, and I would and I would say um, I would say just sort of grow up to the. I would say grow up to okay, that. Okay, yeah, that, I'm not going to put that part in the clip. I'm just going to oh, clip no. the part where Eli says, you know, blackface is an appreciation. Oh no, because this whole podcast is about having my enemies on. And destroying them. Yeah. What? Okay. So, so, can... so let's get into this. Our enemy ship. Our enemy ship. Where did uh, that start? No, do you feel like there's an enemy ship? No, no. But when you say it, I want you to believe it. I want you to think I am that your enemy. I moment, want you to take that me down. first moment I saw you cockily walk on stage, <laughs> a fourth wall, brand new, not even three months in comic, thinking you're better than everyone. Wow. Uh, <laughs> wow. This is okay. And if I did that with your little fanboy open micers at the fourth wall, because I was I was still I was still working on my craft day in and day out despite despite my nominal stand up success. Yeah, look, you got to put in the work. That's mm-hmm. um, yeah. Look, when I started when I started doing stand up, and I went would, and I would go to the fourth wall, I was hanging on by so few threads. Oh, I know. Like there would because there would be moments. Where I would find something, I'd be like, I think I could do this for yeah. a living. And then there's, and then there's the moment right after that, where you do poorly. I would, I would, I wasn't good enough at all to go from one joke to another joke. Not that I didn't have a segue, which I don't. But now I can stand not having a segue. Before, if I went up on stage, I was doing well. I would just ride that energy as far as I could, and as soon as it depleted, I had no game. No game whatsoever. And I would start talking about how little game I had. Well, I, I can't. And, I, and now I'm floundering. And that was only fun for so long. Well, I want to give you some compliments. I'm actually going to I'm actually going to take a moment. I'm going to shed the facade of of uh, of me as this bitter person. I'm going to give Eli Eli a couple of compliments. Um, first off, I think there's an arc to being like a mem- like a true member of the comedy scene. And uh, and that arc is. Um, you're new, you show up in the scene, you have your fears and ego all tied up together. Everyone else sees you and goes, fuck, another new person? The last thing we want is a new person. So you get real cold-shouldered. And then if you don't go away, 
and you're actually kind of good, everyone's like, well, I guess I better be his friend. Because <laughs> he's not going yeah. away, and clearly yeah. he's got something. Yeah. So, so I think I think maybe there was there was maybe even slight competitive animosity. You fit a similar demographic to me. Uh. Um, uh, but the other thing I'll say is that that I acknowledge and I thought about early on with you is that the way you're approaching starting out is right. That you are setting yourself up for wild success in the way you're approaching the craft like you're creating um a much more distinct persona like i very much look at you as like a very early on young male version of robbie hoffman oh yeah i mean i love robbie yeah and robbie says that about me too yeah robbie that's... robbie robbie says they love and they hate me because i am doing their stuff which i didn't even i didn't know robbie before i started out so yeah. i didn't know what i was following after but but, but, it's, but it's, robbie is robbie is the 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 best of the generation to me i mean i love i love I robbie love too robbie. i love robbie too she yeah. never responds when i text her about doing my shows um <laughs> even though i love robbie i get along with her very well uh but um brian simpson someone else i've had like minor tiffs with in the past however i said something that i think is very true to the art of stand-up which is that um that uh, your voice, finding your voice as a comedian is when you're able to be funny without any material. Like yeah. when, when your perspective is so specific that, that, that who you are when you're talking is like funny just in the way you look at things. Yeah. And like understanding that to the degree. Like someone, I always would point to someone who really understands their voice is like Tim Dillon. Tim Dillon is so specific in what he talks about and has such a distinct perspective that he always applies to anything he discusses. Robbie yeah. has such a distinct perspective that she always approaches when she applies or speaks to anything. And I feel like you have that distinct perspective and you did a good job of like going up, being scared, throwing it all on the line, not being funny, <laughs> but trying this thing out that has, has ultimately done you well. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that. I... um. I don't know. I th I think I think you're definitely like so the whole finding my voice thing, you know, that that I think that I had come across my voice in writing or in other types of performance and then once the pandemic hit, I couldn't do any of that. Like I could write, but I couldn't do anything on stage. And then once things started to open up at all, like even in a bootleg way, like on the back of a pizza shop or, you know, like on a, on a, in a backyard, like when it was just like a few people, everyone with like masks on and, you know, that, uh, and that was it. That was the first time I got on stage. And so I think that like as a standup, cause I was so sick of waiting around for other people that I just had to sort of take it into my own hands. And I don't know. I definitely felt like when I began it, when I began standup, that I was going to have um, like an edge almost like competitively based on, I mean, it's honestly like, yeah, it is like a delusion, you know, but I um, feel like all of us Jews uh, yeah, get I mean, into the business. We feel like we're going to have that edge competitively. I've often said that I think, uh, you know, people say Jews run the entertainment industry. And I always go, I think it's more just like the NBA for Jews. Yeah, yeah It's right, just the place right. where our very specific skills. Uh, Excel. Uh, so, so much of my 
persona or my voice comes from. I, I really, I don't know. I know that I'm upset, but I don't know what it's about. And I, as soon as I try to figure out what it's about, be, I actually become upset. You know, mm-hmm. like I don't, I don't, you know, I, I don't actually want to, you know, I don't want to know why I am so anxious. And then when I figure it out, it's like, yeah, I guess it's from from millennia of trauma. You well, know? you and do it, you do clowning, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think that makes sense because, like, you naturally look like a Jewish clown. Uh, yeah. Well, that, I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's true. I mean, I now it's are my your, mask. It's are now. your are your parents and grandparents? Do they have a full head of hair? My my mom's side has full head of hair. My dad's side does not. They're bald. Yeah, I mean, my dad has a, a some some on top. How old are you now? Thirty. I'm turning thirty in a couple. Okay, of days. you're probably not going bald then. I mean, I really hope not. But you know how many people? There are so many people who. I started losing my hair like. Yeah, end people, of high school. People do say that it would have already happened, but there are so many people who come up to me. I get you know catcalled, but for my hair by older Jewish men to talk about how they used to have this hair, and now they're bald. So I see so many of. But these. they used to have it when they were in their twenties. Yeah, I know, but I it's mean still, Larry David. But it still scares Larry me. David used to have your hair. Yeah, I know, and it's you look me. like young Larry David. Do yes. you think that helped you get your job in the first place? I don't. I don't think so. Did you interview with him? No, I interviewed with um, his then assistant. No, it was like the um, the producer of the post team, like the post production. How team. did how did you working for Larry come about? Okay, so I worked for Larry David for two years. From um, do you no longer work for him? I mean, I, I work for him, but not in the same capacity at all. Okay. So I started working for him as a production assistant in the post-production department because I had a, a job like years earlier. So this would have been 2015. I had a job in a production office um, as an office PA and the production coordinator worked on Curb Your Enthusiasm before it went on hiatus for like five years between seasons eight and nine. And then when it came back, she had a job there again at Curb, and there was this position that opened up deep into the production of season nine, like after everything was already filmed and they were editing the the show. And she asked if I was if I wanted to apply for it, basically. And then I got the job, and from there I was hired on as his like assistant's assistant, his second production assistant. Um, and then the assistant to the other, uh, co-EP, um, who's Laura Stryker. That was like my, my boss. And then she was Larry David's assistant for 20 years. Then she became producer, co or co-producer, producer, executive producer. So she was, you know, she moved all the way up. You got in too late. There's not going to be enough seasons yeah, left yeah, right, for right, you to ascend right. to her position. No, no chance. No, no. <laughs> you know, there were, there were times where it was like, oh, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe this is the year I stop, you know, but I, it was never going to actually come to fruition. Um, and I don't know if I would have, you know, I don't know if that would have been for me, but, um, yeah. So after season nine, um, and my time was up, it was just like a two month job, but my whole job was just to get him and like the production post-production office, like lunch and fill up the kitchen and just do office labor basically, and then make all the runs that he needed. So, you know, as I was asking him for lunch and I was bringing lunch back as I was getting his like stuff from the pharmacy or from a store and I would bring it back to him, you know, I just like, you know, sort of joke a little bit, you know, just, I started out just sweating 
bullets and shitting my pants sure, yeah, when yeah. I saw him. Yeez in, yeez in. I always yeah. say it's like it's like how many times I've had a job where I'm like, all right, I'm not going to let my personality come out. I'm just going to do this job. That's right. Yeah. And then like two months in, you just can't help it. Yeah, and especially with a job like that is so honestly just easy. Like it's mm-hmm. just like the it might be a lot of work some days, but it's it's so it's almost it's mind blowing how mindless it is. Yeah. Like you just go out and get something and come back. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was like, uh, you know, so I was like, yeah, I'm not gonna let my personality out. But I thought also, you know, nothing's going to come out then. Like I, cause I'm not, I'm just going to show I'm a professional that I'm capable of like grabbing lunch and bringing it back. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm definitely capable of that, you know? Um, but uh, after season nine, um, when they were rolling into season 10, on my last day of work, I was like saying my goodbyes, and then I I run out to to give um, Larry like uh, you know something because he was traveling to SNL to play Bernie Sanders at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, so he's tri- flying out on a Wednesday, and I was like, oh no, this is like my last chance, and I had like a magazine I had to give him, you know, like the New Yorker or something like that, and I was bringing it out to him before he like left f- for the weekend, but like as I was leaving for good essentially, and then. He, I was like, oh, I'm so thankful for everything. Thanks for this opportunity. He's like, no, no, don't, don't, no sentiment. No, <laughs> no, no, no sentiment. Yeah, but, you know, if you have any ideas for next season, you know, write them down, send them to us. If we like them, we'll pay for them. And I was like, okay, so that's a, like a writing job. Mm-hmm. So I just like got a writing job out of this. Um, and that was like a dream come true. Like, that was like an insane. That is a dream come true. I mean, I I'd fucking shit my pants. Yeah, I I wouldn't have dared to dream that way at all. Like, and I didn't even have like a real physical job at that time because I was done working for him on. What season were some nine. of your ideas that made it into the show? Um, so season nine, there was this uh, um, this bit about a doctor's son who gives Larry medical advice. That's so funny because I always had a bit. My dad was an optometrist and I always like, I was like, when I was a kid, I would always be like, let me see your eyes. Let me see your eyes. And I was like, like, like it's genetic. Like all that education got passed down. Speaking of genetics and the, the falsehood of, of eugenics. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. My dad's an eye doctor. I can look in your eyes and be like, oh, you got astigmatism. Yeah, right. Exactly. So (laughs) so, I'm in like third grade. So yeah. I I love that. When I saw that, that's a, that was like, I was like, that's fucking. Yeah. It's right there for you. Eli stole that from (laughs) (laughs) me. No, my, my, my grandfather is a, is a was a pediatrician and my dad constantly was like just take four advil you know know, (laughs) take take two zero you know just sort of over almost like over prescribing yeah and i was like all right there has to be something there but when i was doing those that these initial pitches what i would do is i would just write down any idea that would like be in the curb space and then i just like had to dive into my own life constantly and like so i submitted so many ideas to him and then um you know suddenly some of them would stick and then it was like okay so i'm gonna get this is gonna happen like they even shot uh a scene that they shot a scene um season not or season 10 where um i had this this thing where um my my therapist at the time was like asking me for ideas for his novella and i was like okay this is I'm pitching this to Larry. I'm pitching the idea that like he needs to become his therapist's like therapist Mm -hmm. and they, they shot it, but they cut it out on the cutting room floor after they shot it. So they brought Brian Cranston in to do the role. He's the therapist, but they cut it out, which Uh. was like, I mean, I thought it was wild, but I think they were definitely right because it was like extreme. It was tied into the other storylines in uh, maybe not so 
um, sensitive way, I think. Now, were you were you in the running at all for Young Larry? Mm-hmm. You were? Yeah. I um, over, How did that play out? So over the pandemic, I... Because obviously, nobody they picked to play Young Larry looks even remotely like Young Larry. Right. Whereas you are like his spitting image. Right. So it was... Um, there, I guess the guy who they chose for the end, who his name is Gil Ozeri, he's a great comedian, mm-hmm. but he he does sort of look the part, but his his role wasn't the same as the first two guys they chose in the season. But okay, so I'd been doing all this writing for them, and then season ten I worked as his assistant again. I you know I got invited back to do that role for all of season ten, and then after season ten I I left, but I was still writing for the show. Are for you in the credits as a writer? No, no, it's uh, it is like, I I essentially it's. I, it's like a contract, like a consult, yeah, yeah. a consulting fee. Ghost, ghost, uh, yeah, ghostwriter. Yeah, go pick it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, um, Are you in the WGA? I'm not. No, this, so this hasn't really been able to start my career that much. You know, it's like it is like uh, something. Well, don't that worry, gave, you're on this. This podcast is going to get out to 20 people. That's great, and uh, hopefully, and that's yeah. going to blow you the fuck up. Yeah, um, <laughs> if it's one of the right, any one of those 20 people is the right person. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so when I um, was, yeah, so during the pandemic, I was like, I heard, because I was writing for the show, I heard that they were doing this storyline about, you know, a show like Young Larry. They were going to pitch this show, Young Larry, Larry David as Young Man. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, they're not, they haven't asked me. Like, what? Well, you know, they. I'm right below their fucking nose. Like, how could <laughs> they not see this? Like, as this, I, I felt crazy. I was like, what, like, seriously, like, I felt like it was a slight almost. Like, how could they not? How could they not? And then I put together like a little acting reel of, of all the little things I had done before. And it sort of tailored it right for Curb. I had my cousin who's like an, a great editor work on it. His name's Osher Pink. But he, he had he, hired me. I probably would have <laughs> Well, I don't know. Yeah, he, he, did such a good, he did such a great job. Um, <laughs> um, Not good enough. But well, he got me. He got me. Because I, I submitted like with my ideas in a, the writing packet. I was like. And like, consider me as an actor for, for your show. And then I gave them the little reel and they were like, you know what? We'll like, we'll look into it. We'll see if we have anything for you. Then they sent me, uh, you know, one day, just like, uh, like an audition, an email for an audition, you know, Mm -hmm. to do like this young, young Larry role. Um, and they were looking for like a Ben Stiller type, sort of like a hot shot, young, like confident you know, actory exactly type. Exactly the thing I was... Just, oh, actory type. Actory that, type, yeah, yeah. yeah, but other than that, it was how I described you at the open mic. Oh, that's funny, yeah. the way I didn't like you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was like... Um, so I, I did it. I, I, I had no... I, I had never auditioned for anything really before that or anything on screen. I didn't have an agent. I didn't have any representation like that. And I filmed my audition vertically, you know, like, and that's always like... It's supposed to be the other. It's supposed way. to be horizontal. Like but I was that's so, such a fucked reason to like to like. No, 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 yeah. no. I'm just yeah. saying I was so green. I just mm-hmm. had no idea what I was doing. But for like for like two or three days, I was just like trying to get into the character, trying to lay down a good take. And I sent one back, and it was you know I I really I liked mean, it. I would describe your personality as trying to be Larry. David. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, so maybe so, not wrong. So, so how close did you get? So I I mean I didn't get the role, but yeah. they gave me another part. Yeah, so they yeah. gave me a speaking part that got me into or SAG SAG eligibility. Yeah, and I'd like to I'd like to take credit for the fact that you weren't going to post 
the <laughs> photo of you in the Curb Your Enthusiasm chair on your Instagram feed. And I was like, what are you, an idiot? Yeah. Like, that's going to be like the most popular thing you ever have. Instantaneously, like within two hours, had more likes than anything I'd ever posted. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, and I was like, I posted it because I don't know. I'm so I. I just get in my head about. You gotta learn much to be this. This town is all about how much of a whore you can be. Yeah, and like, like you know, we were making the sucking dicks jokes earlier, but it's like, you know, you have to suck like Instagram's dick. Yeah, you got right. like, like this business right now. It's changed. It's not people discovering you anymore. It's you making people discover you, so that the people who discover people see that you were already discovered. Yeah, right. I yeah, that's true. I mean, I um, I would say I suck. The the works dick the works you know dick. Yeah. like that's the but dick that, I suck, but that's gonna you get know. you the least far uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> I've always said I'm I'm the best at the worst part of this business which is being funny uh-huh. um, uh, worst part to be good at uh, okay two two last things I want I want to discuss with you mm-hmm. um, before I get into the final thing uh, this is a question I've frequently asked on uh, this podcast, and you're probably one of the perfect people to ask this question to. Um, and I guess you could pick something that didn't end up making the show. I always like to ask people, what would be your curb pitch? Like, oh. what, what's the story from your life that like you think would make the ultimate curb? Oh, you, you asked this already? I asked this to a bunch of people. I asked oh, this really? to Liz Laser. Uh, wow. It's like a frequent question I ask on the show. Oh, God. Okay, I mean... If you're looking for ideas to steal, you can listen to earlier episodes oh, of the show. <laughs> um, no, I mean the 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 idea that there was a show about young Larry David that didn't cast me <laughs> is your is your that is curb? my that is the dagger in my curb your enthusiasm life. Like that is the end all be all of like me as a curb project, and I think. Yeah, I mean, there are. I have still I have what like, I'd have given. I have like to thousands. Be on, yeah, to be on the show in any role. Yeah, but it's I, like a dream of mine. Can you make that happen for uh, me? Um, you know, everyone asks. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, can I? No, no. I, I, look, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even get myself. Yeah, <laughs> the role I wanted. Um, or I guess so. Yeah, so that that's not like a. St- that's not really like the story. But there were so many times when I was working there where I had something that happened, like. If I would like break something, and then I'd be like, "Oh no, this is his, this is his mug, this is his cup. I, I can't be seen. I uh, I gotta come up with something," you know. Like I I have like hundreds of ideas like stockpiled from my life about Curb, but like the real Kerbian tragedy that is such that is so funny. Like it's like an idiotic tragedy is really what Curb it's like you're, constantly you're is. You're a child separated from birth that couldn't get the role. Right. Exactly. As his- as his kid. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you should have pitched, uh, you know, you should pitch pitch if they do another season is Larry's uh, illegitimate child. Right, or, and this, or, and th- or the panic, the panic that he has an illegitimate child because yeah. he meets you as someone's kid that he had sex with the exact amount of years ago you were born. Yeah, look, this, this type of pitch has been pitched to me hundreds of times, and I have pitched a few of them. Yeah. I have actually done that, you know, <laughs> but um, yeah, it never goes. And it's it's kind of like a Mesa Fockers. Yeah, uh, but they're like it's line. too scrappy do. That's yeah, what they yeah, said. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I was yeah. like, okay, like that's a good way of putting it down. Yeah, you're right. It is a little, you know, but it's like a sit a, a show of complete hijink sitcom or sitcom mm-hmm. hijinks. Yeah, it's not like a, you know, he's are the they ultimate, above? Are they above a scrappy yeah, no, do? He's, he's ultimate scrappy do. <laughs> yeah, uh, a show. Um, all right, last thing, last thing. Uh, you're you're a one man show. Um, yes. 
it's show business or it's called good show business. good show business yeah. good show business yeah. i like that yeah. i like that yeah yeah and uh uh are you bringing it anywhere are you doing edinburgh um, um i was hoping to do edinburgh i'm but doing edinburgh you are year. yeah okay yeah i i just can't um get the money so i am taking it on tour in america so i'm mm-hmm. just gonna do like uh, minneapolis chicago new york and then wherever i can fill in in between those have you been making money when you've been putting the shows up um i've done shows at the elysian theater and at uh stand-up new york and i've done it a few other times and like you know i i end up, stand-up, I end up do you feel like stand-up new york is a good venue for the show um it's it not, feels more one-man show than stand-up although i haven't is. seen it no it is it is more of a theater show and i you know i make do with whatever i have and yeah. that for them it was I like mean, i'm gonna be in a fucking basement of a bar doing yeah. my Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you just do it anywhere there. But um, the uh, I did it for one of their pop-up shows and that was like in a place called the Art House, Art House Hotel and that show, it was like almost like a conference room vibe and like the lights were all on and you know, there was no real tech. So no, I mean, I have, I, I my goal is to be able to do this show anywhere so wherever they give me, I'll do it. But of course, I would prefer a, a nice, like a nice big stage. Or, yeah, you know, a nice big stage where uh, I can get into the I, audience. I, I haven't. Bit. I've been wanting to make it to the show. That it's been scheduling conflicts pretty yeah, much every time yeah. you've done the show in a place. I've either been out of town or on a show or something. Um, but uh, it looks to me like it's very loose. Like it's a very loose show. Like is it is it tightly written? Is, how much of it are you improvising when you do it? So how yeah. much is like crowd work? type stuff and is it would you say it's it veers into clowning i know you do clowning how much clowning influence is there on the show i mean it's it's almost entirely influenced by my clowning work mm-hmm. like it is uh at least like the the craft the jewish the, clown the, 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 yeah the craft Eli of, leonard the jew clown <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> i mean you know that that is uh that's that's what i got to offer so but um it was ma- i would say it's mainly influenced in craft by by clowning work or like the yeah my background in that world but I do stand up in it and I do a lot of written material it's all like everything that I do is there a storyline there is uh there are concepts that are that it's like I'm taking you through a journey of um Jewish showmanship through the generations and by the end of the show I'm gonna lead up to like a big dramatic monologue so it's like it's how I get And the there. monologue's written? The monologue is uh, Shylock from Merchant of Venice. Oh, you just do the Shylock from yeah, Merchant of Venice? Yeah, but I do it in My like pound a- pound of flesh? Yeah, yeah. I do it um, in a, you know, I do, but it depends on the audience how I do it every time, basically. So, so I, are you playing multiple characters throughout the, throughout the time, or is it Eli Leonard traveling through Jewish history? I guess it is like a character. It's like my, my character in that show becomes different- performers and sometimes i definitely come through like as just me like Mm -hmm. when i there are moments where i just drop everything and it's me and that's sort of like the real like clown element all right so i'm i'm a theater in edinburgh uh you got like a minute to pitch good show business to me What's your what's your elevator of good show business pitch? This uh, this is so scary. I no, know. No, this, I, this, this is the this thing. Is, that, this is you got to be the thing that I need to be. For yeah, it. the log line. Yeah. Well, okay. So it's um, good showbiz is a show where you are um, okay. Uh, take two. Good show business is a show. You're done. You're through, yeah, Leonard. Right. Yeah. You'll never make it in this town. I know. I know. Has Larry ever come to see you perform? No, but he said he would. But okay. So good showbiz is a show where. Um, I, the performer, offer jobs 
to the audience in show business and compensate them for it. And in return, when I put on a good show, I expect compensation. So it's a, <laughs> it's, it's a constant flow of money between audience and performer. And Does money change hands throughout the show? Money changes hands throughout the entire show, and I usually end up losing like 50 to 70 bucks. Really? Yeah, and then like, you know, there's, so whatever I make from the, the, the budget for the show is the, the budget. I mean, the prop budget is the budget itself. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's like, that's like mainly it. It's like, I'm, it's the, when's the next time you're doing it? Do you I'm, know yet? I am doing it June 8th in Venice. In Venice? Yeah, in Where Venice at? at a parking space comedy. It's like a garage space. So this will be the definitely the smallest like in size venue I've done it at. So it'll it's, be interesting. It's in a garage or it's in a theater that's like No, a it's gar- in a garage. Oh, it's like interesting. in someone's garage. Outside yeah. or? Yeah, there's like- No air out. conditioning in the summer um, in uh, Venice? Well, it's only, it's like in a week and a half and it's been pretty cold. So hopefully, okay. yeah, I think it'll be fine. <laughs> When's the next time you're doing it indoors? <clears throat> um... Well, I'm definitely doing it in New York. I don't. I don't know when the next time I'm doing it in LA will be. So get I'm, like get like a late June, mid July LA show going. Yeah, and I'll I'm come doing, to it. I'm doing. Yeah, I will. I mean, I'm. I I'll definitely have another LA show soon. Um, I just need to find out when because I have a bunch of little scheduling conflicts coming. Anything up. Anything else you want to promote before uh, I let you go? Yes. Um, the roast of anti-Semitism at the Saban. Oh, Theater. right, right. You're part of that whole chosen fest thing. Yeah, 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 Mister. I'm not that Jewish. Do you eat bacon? Yeah. Okay, I had yeah, bacon yeah. this morning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for bacon, uh, yeah. so fucking good. Um, uh, how'd you get in, in with the Chosen Fest people? That was through Elon Gold, who I've been opening for. And oh, he's okay. A, he's a stand-up that, yeah, you, I know, know he's, he's, you know, sort of a brilliant, like, decades and decades mm-hmm. long, like, working stand-up. Tell Elon to bring me around. Okay, uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, come come around. Um, mm-hmm. I'll let you know. But um, the, you know, I've met him at Curb, and that's a whole other uh, story. That's a big, that's another bigger story, but... um. But then he sort of took me under his wing and mentored me. And he was really the reason why I started doing stand-up in the first place, because he was like, you have to do this. And I was like, I've wanted to do this, but now that the pandemic's sort of brewing, I need to like get working on my stuff. And then he, you know, gave me opportunities. That's great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so the, the roast of anti-Semitism on June 14th at the Saban Theater and then the chosen... This might not come out before then, but okay, okay. So <laughs> but then... if it does, the the roast of anti-Semitism at the Saban Theater, June fourteenth. Okay, and then um, who it, else is on that with you? That's uh, I mean, with I'm on it with them, really. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. like Howie Mandel, Michael Rappaport, Rachel Bloom, uh, Triumph, the Insult Comic Dog. Ugh, I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, Elon Gold. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's insane. Piece of shit. Yeah, I, hate I know. You. I know. I, uh, know, I, know. <laughs> I hate your fucking guts. And then um, the Chosen Comedy Festival on uh, July 29th in the Catskills, and then Ugh. at Cody- that was my fucking idea. I wanted to throw the Catskills Comedy Festival. You oh, you should, do you know Donnie Zoldan? Do you know him? The, Is that the, the guy who does the runs Chosen? Of New York? Yeah. Oh uh, no, I don't. Okay, I got to put you two in touch. Yeah. Um, and then. Um, after that, at Coney Island, we're doing a show, which is the 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 chosen comedy festival. So there's like the the first night show is at the Catskills, and then a week later it's at Coney Island. So you can just go standupnewyork.com and get tickets to that. Oh, stuff. sweet! So it's through Stand Up New York. Yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. All right, Eli, thank you for doing the show, man. Thanks for having uh, me. Thanks for telling us about curb and uh hopefully this episode doesn't ruin your career yeah no um, i think um i think if anything does it won't be this but you know yeah, i mean how much can 20 people hearing something ruin your career you know and if you do it enough 
if you do things like this enough, it will eventually. Yeah, yeah, but also it can boost your career. Just it maybe could. not, maybe not with the people you want it boosted with. Yeah, that's right. Become an alt right hero. Oh god, I, that, <laughs> that would be a crazy heel turn by yeah, me. Crazy. Heel how turn. I how I could possibly get that group is beyond me. But well, it's uh, it's weird. Uh, Rishi Arya has this great bit about how like he was on mushrooms and he walked through a Trump rally and he went really diverse crowd uh, and uh, and very accepting of each other. Uh, as long as you hate minorities, you can be a minority. <laughs> You'd be there like poster Jew, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like this is our Jew that hates Jews. Yeah, just like Candace Owens is there like black woman that hates black people. Right. Kanye. Yeah, uh, you know they they love it when they get. One who is like their poster, yeah. They're like, like the we're one, diverse. The we're, one, a di- we're a diverse group of hateful people. Yeah, the one, the one for all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right. Thanks for coming on the show, Eli. Uh, definitely check him out. Uh, doing good show business or at the Chosen Comedy Festival. This has been another episode of the Jew Rogan Experience, and hopefully, we'll be back next week. <laughs> <laughs>